Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. Yep, getting up late for you guys, so you'll have it for your morning drive. I've heard a few people say, hey, Steve, I know it's uh, off-season, but uh, I miss the Barnyard in the mornings. I'm going to try to do better, but sometimes, I'll be honest with you, after a full day of riding, it's kind of difficult. Uh, my mind needs to rest every once in a while, but I, I, am, I promise to get you guys three shows. Got oh, you guys a Facebook Live show too. I I'd wanted to do one earlier this weekend, but um, yeah, it's just been one of those weekends, man. It's a lot going on. You know how it is. So I want to thank everybody that came out to Lemuria Books. It's so great, man. I, when I get to these places and there's like people already waiting, it it, um, it means an awful lot, and it provides some fuel for the journey. You know, I've got. Uh, a little bit left to write on Dogpile. Got some interviews coming up this week, and uh, you know we'll get those things done. And yeah, you know, this this thing's happening, man. I mean, it's like let me think for a second. I guess I got 15 chapters written now, so there's nine left, and I'll write uh, four this week. And so you kind of have an idea that this thing is uh, is coming together pretty quick. Wrote the chapter on the regional uh, Sunday morning. I guess my dogs got me up early. And I thought about, well, I could go back to sleep. I really wanted to. But you know how it is. Once you get up and get moving, your mind starts racing. If you're like me, I mean, it's like as soon as I'm awake, my mind is already telling me, okay, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. But Saturday was great. And uh, I'd wanted to get started on the chapter Saturday night, but uh, I just liked not to do it. I actually went and watched a movie Friday night. I like going to the movies. I mean, I, I'm not like some other people do. I mean, there's some people that go like a couple times a week. I, I don't know that I could go that often, but uh, I didn't go for a long time, you know, just because of COVID. I mean, you know, like I'm sitting in a, you know, a, you know, enclosed environment with a captive audience. And so I didn't go for a while. We didn't have movies for a while, but then once they started back, I just, I just couldn't do it. And there hadn't been a lot of great summer movies and that's been disappointing. Of course, that's all kind of a byproduct of the COVID culture a year ago, but, um, one saw Stillwater. It is good. It's not great. I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. It was it was a good investment of the time, I guess. But um, I thought it was really kind of slow for a while, and then they rushed the ending. If that makes sense. Matt Damon's great in it. Much different role for him. But I uh, went and saw that. Really want to see the movie Old too before it leaves town. There's always there's some good movies coming up too. I, let me think here. Recently, I've seen Snake Eyes with uh, my youngest son, which is great. Really enjoyed that. I'm not a big Marvel Comics guy. Like, I don't go out and watch all the superhero movies, and many of you do. And if you got younger kids, you're probably required to. But I don't go see those. But I do enjoy going to the show. Did that on Friday, and of course, we had the book signing Saturday at Lemuria. And Lemuria has all four books. They have signed copies at Lemuria and Jackson. And I am such a huge fan of Lemuria books, always have been. From the very first time that I walked in there as a teenager, when it was across the street there, I guess it's DeVille Plaza. You know, Lemuria Books has been one of those bucket list things for me, and I always thought, you know, one of these days, I'm going to have a book on the shelves there at Lemuria Books. I've got four, and that uh, means a lot to me. It really does. John Evans and his crew are just doing an amazing job, and, you know, you sit there in that little green uh, you know, corner there, the little green couch they have at the same spot that John Grisham sat, same spot that Eudora Welty sat, and, and you know, that means a lot to me. It really does. And uh, I'm so grateful to all the folks at Liberia Books. And so if you're in central Mississippi, let me encourage you. Support Liberia Books. They're a great independent bookstore, not just by Mississippi standards, but nationally. John Evans and his crew there, they're, they're kind of well-known in the industry as being a great bookstore. And 
they'll uh, be part of the Mississippi Book Festival coming up. Uh, and so we'll be in the middle of uh, fall camp here. So I'll, I will be here. I spent a lot of time on the road this year and uh, enjoy doing that. Enjoy getting out and seeing you folks. But, uh, you know, sometimes we got to cover some ball games, and I look forward to doing that too. And, again, I go back to the fact that we had this elongated baseball season, and it seems like we just didn't have an off season. And how wonderful is that? I mean, it's like we've always got something to cheer for. And so I've enjoyed uh, being in practice for the last couple of days. We're going to talk about that on today's show, some observations on both offense and defense. Uh, I was there Friday and Sunday. I'll be back this week. We, let's see, we have practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is the off day. And then practice again on Friday. And I suspect that'll probably be it for us as far as observations. But I'm very grateful to Mike Leach and the staff. You know, we've had some times we haven't been able to go. We didn't get to go to practice at all in 2019. Went a little bit in 2018. Had a chance to go watch, you know, some early periods. But a lot of that's just, you know, stretching and individual position drills. But we've been able to see it all. And, and it's been entertaining. It really has been. And I don't mean that just from the fact that, you know, hey, it's football. Just watching how the guys work, watching how the coaches kind of facilitate a practice, it's been very educational. And so I'm going to share some of that with you today because I think it's important that you know that. Not just, hey, who's looked good, but it's kind of how things are going. And uh, some updates on some players, too. We're really careful about what we put out there just because of the fact that, you know, we got to make sure that it's right. I mean, it's one thing I share with somebody Saturday. It's like, you know, when you go out and report something, you got to make sure it's accurate because that becomes the historical record of the event. It doesn't matter if it's a ball game or a practice or, you know, going back and writing something, you know, historical when it comes to Mississippi State Athletics. But, you know, you have to really have some integrity with what you report. And so, you know, we we at jeanspage.com, we spend a lot of time talking among ourselves about, well, hey, how do we, how do we want to frame this up? You know, what happened? And you know, to make sure we're kind of all on the same page. It doesn't always work out that way. I mean, sometimes, you know, we – there's a lot of room out there, you know, so we're kind of spread out and we don't always see the same things, but we, we certainly try. And if you're not a member of jeanspage.com, what a great time to go join because I really think it's going to be a better football season than many of the prognosticators have, uh, have forecast. Now, do I think we're going to challenge for the West? No, I don't. I don't think we're there yet. I still think we're too young there, but we have a lot of talent on this team. Don't have a ton of experience, but we do have some talent. I do think 2022 can be a really good year for us. But I do think we take a positive stride this year. I think you're going to win some ball games. I think you're going to enjoy football season. I don't think it'll be like last year. I think last year we were just so grateful to have something. And it wasn't a great year. We had a lot of bumps in the road last year. But I think we're going to be better for those experiences this year. And I think that's showing in the early part of practice. Uh, I want to give you guys an update, too. I mentioned a little bit about the Dogpile book. So, you know, I I just kind of want to make sure that you guys kind of know what's going on. Just because uh, you guys obviously are are interested in what I got going on. But uh, Dog Pile, you know, we're finalizing the cover. I believe that'll happen this week. And uh, we did have some uh, some problems with the website for a couple of days last week. And uh, we'll be adding another URL to that. There's somebody working on those kind of things now. So, uh, but yeah, it's going to, it's already, we've already got these, uh, <laughs> everything that I've written so far with the exception of the NCAA regional weekend chapter has already been through a round of edits already. And, and I'm happy to say there hadn't been a lot of corrections. I mean, just some minor things here or there. So maybe I'm figuring this writing thing out uh, in the end. But uh, it's exciting. I mean, I'm having such a good time with this. And to be honest with you, at this point, the regional weekend is the longest chapter in the book so far. And I know once we get to Omaha, that's going to be uh, 
you know, I, I'm going to take some time to add some additional detail and this kind of things. And you know, there's some there's some behind the scenes stuff that'll, that'll pop up and some things that you want to know about it. You know, it's not all just chronicling the season. I want to give you guys some inside information, perhaps you won't get elsewhere. But uh, I'm having a ball. I mean, I really am. It's one of those things too. There's so many Bulldog fans. Every person that came in yesterday, Elmeria Books, without exception, said, "Hey, Steve, really looking forward to the new one." Excited about Blooms of Oleander, but we're looking forward to the new one. And so I feel it's a great responsibility uh, to put those things together, and I have worked tirelessly on this. I have to go to the movies sometimes or go to dinner just to see family, you know. And so and I, I don't say that to poor mouth you guys, but it's just because this is the commitment that it requires to ensure that we have this out for you guys for holiday season. And everybody involved in this project is committed to that end. Everybody understands, you know, what I'm expecting and what you guys are expecting. And I know you guys want, you know, a killer book that kind of commemorates this great moment in our history. And so I'm very, very excited to do it. I believe in many respects I was born to write this book. And I just can't wait for you guys to have it. I absolutely can't wait. You know, we're working on kind of pulling out pictures and that sort of stuff. We'll have a great little color photo section for you guys. And again, some, you know, some behind-the-scenes interviews with some people that have helped build this program into being one of the national elite. And in case you hadn't forgotten, we are a blue blood of college baseball. And now we have a national championship to celebrate and to prove that point. So everybody that I see has got on their championship gear everywhere they go. So clearly this is a shared experience for all of us. But uh, it, it's so rewarding when I see our young people, you know, young guys out there, young guys and gals, you know, with their Mississippi State national championship stuff on. And just to kind of see the pride in their faces and – I remember, you know, being a young guy myself thinking, you know, are we ever going to get there? And you hang on to that hope and think, you know, one day it's going to happen. Well, it has for us. We've proven we can do it, and I know we're going to do it again. I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to celebrate some championships in the years to come. And perhaps, uh, you know, this will kind of demonstrate to some other sports and to recruits that are considering playing those sports here at Mississippi State. You know what, hey, they can win the big one at Mississippi State. They don't just have to be a great tournament team. This is a team that's capable of winning the whole thing. And, and one of the things that I've always just kind of felt is, you know, why not Mississippi State? And not just in baseball. Look at all other sports, too. You know, why, why not? What, what is it that's holding us back? And, you know, we can make excuses for ourselves. We can say, well, you know, we don't have the resources or the budget or we don't have the tradition that maybe some other schools do. And all that's true. You know, but when you look at some of these other schools, I mean, you know, you know what, did, what did Georgia Tech have? You know, in the early 90s. You know, what did Clemson have? I mean, look, you know, you know they've, they've built a dynasty over there now. But, you know, I rem- you know, people forget there used to be the phrase called Clemsoning, you know, because, you know, Clemson would always have all this great SEC caliber talent, but they could never win the big one either. Now they have. I'm not sitting here trying to suggest we can be Clemson in football. But to think that, you know, that we have to be content to always be just kind of a mid-level ball team, I just don't buy that. I just don't. And I think Mike Leach is a guy that's going to take us some places we've never been before because I think Mike Leach, like a lot of our players, just doesn't see the natural order of things. You know, that's where Dak Prescott and people like that really elevated our program and our expectations is they came in and said, you know what, hey, we can beat LSU. You know, we can beat Auburn. We can compete with Alabama. And now, while we haven't beaten Alabama in a long time, and listen, Alabama's on an unprecedented run in college football. You know, I think Mike Leach is a guy that says, you know what, why not Mississippi State? I mean, I've got, you know, a great system. I've got a great staff. And now all of a sudden I've got, you know, 
the ability to go out and recruit great players to a level I've never done before. And so I think all those things are exciting, but I also think you know, it's a byproduct of the baseball culture is that, you know, we've, we've committed some resources and we have turned out in record numbers and really had some fan support that is unparalleled in college baseball. We can do those things. We can absolutely do those things. We can use our money wisely, and we can ensure that our coaches have the resources and have uh, the things they need from an infrastructure standpoint to put together, you know, a really quality football program. And at the same time, too, I think, you know, you've got, you know, fan support here. Our fans have proven when we're winning, we'll turn out. We may be a little bit fair weather at a time, but, you know, look at what we did in women's basketball. I mean, we were a program that had the most anemic tradition in the Southeastern Conference. We played for back-to-back national championships. We owned the biggest win in the history of women's college basketball by beating UConn in the Final Four. So I just don't buy this whole you know, theology that some people have. is oh, well, it's just Mississippi State. And I'll be honest with you, I think Mississippi State, I think she deserves a whole lot better than to have such detractors within her fan base. And there's so many people out there that have this blame Mississippi State first mentality. I mean, if there's not enough ice in the drinks, you know, well, it's got to be John Cohen's fault, you know. And it's like, well, you know, somebody at the SEC office has the wrong helmet for SEC media day, so it's got to be Leah Beasley's fault, you know. You know, who thinks that way? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a forgiving person for the most part, you know, but I also have high expectations. I also understand how the world works a little bit too. And I don't say that in any way to suggest that people's opinions are invalid. I get accused of that sometimes. We say, well, you know, Steve, you know, it kind of talks down to people. I, I, I don't see that at all. Because I don't feel that way. And if you feel that way, I'll, let me go ahead and apologize. Because I, I absolutely don't think that I'm better than any one of you guys. I just happen to have a, a little more access than some of you guys do. Uh, but I love Mississippi State, and I know you guys do as well. But I just think that, you know, bad-mouthing Mississippi State doesn't help me or you or Mississippi State. I'm not saying we can't call it as it is. I think we did a good job of that last year. I think all of our fans just kind of felt like, you know what, we're working towards an end. But – you know, we got to play a little bit better at times. We all saw that. I mean, we, you know, we, this Arkansas and Kentucky games, those were things that just, there was nothing of redeemable value you could take from those games. And I, I think we did a pretty good job addressing that on the show. You know, those were bad games against teams that we should be able to beat annually. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be Pollyannish about all of it, but, you know, the bottom line is, is I think Mississippi State can be better. And I think it's okay to expect better. I just think when things are going well and we are doing well and competing at a high level, that uh, rather than look for the one you know, gray cloud in a you know, clear blue sky, you know, let's focus on what is rather than what could be. And I think you know, when you think about baseball, it's like there were so many people too that you know, there was all this euphoria within the fan base. And to be honest with you, it didn't take long for some of that to go away for some people. There, I think some people are just kind of more comfortable – you know, with the old uh, Mississippi State mentality of thinking, well, we, you know, we shouldn't expect greatness. I just don't agree with that. I think we absolutely should. And I think it makes people uncomfortable. With, they were So many people were expecting us to fail that when we didn't, they just didn't know how to react. And so we're all growing together. You know, we, we all want the same things. That's one thing that I, I try to share with some of our guys that uh, you help run our message boards and and our website is I think it's important, even if we don't always express things the same way, we all have the same goals in mind. That's for Mississippi State to win and to win consistently at all levels in every sport. So 
Uh, I'm very proud of Mississippi State, and you guys are as well. So let's get to the show. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I I love those guys too. A a championship caliber hamburger for sure. You can go by. You can have the Bulldog. You can have the Pimentology at Bacon. I got a message over the weekend. Uh, Your friend friend of the show went over from Birmingham to buy some championship gear, went and ate at Bulldog Burger Company and had a great time. Said he and his wife went and uh, had a great meal, and you will too. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive and Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgewood. That's a new one. A lot of rave reviews coming in about that. I, I would say three three to four times a week, I get a message from one of you guys. to say, hey, Steve, we went in there. We had a great experience. We really did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk a little about football camp. So, as I mentioned, we're kind of getting some, you know, I wouldn't say unprecedented access, but I would say some access we haven't had in the better part of 10 years. You know, you know, when Jackie was here, we got to go to a lot of practices. When Dan first got here, you guys got to go to some practices too. And uh, some of those practices at times with some of our coaches was uh, maybe a little bit PG-13. So, we stopped having open practices. And then we began to get come. I guess with the bowl practices, Dan would let us come a lot and see full practices. We just didn't get a lot of access. But, you know, our friends at Washington State told us that, you know, Leach really wants the media there. He wants those guys to have an opportunity, you know, in the media to be able to cover practice and kind of facilitate, you know, what's happening out there. And listen, there's only so much you can tell in practice because, you know what, it's practice. Now, we can talk about the fact that we've had a lack of drops you know, we had some of that last year. I think in the two days that I've watched practice, I could probably count one true drop. And there are some other ones out there that, you know, we kind of lay out and make a tremendous effort for, maybe not secure the catch. Well, I don't consider that a drop. You know, I'm talking about a drop is when a guy makes his turn, the ball hits him in the hands, and he just doesn't secure a catch. But, you know, there's been some of that too, but not much. You know, and Steve Spurrier and Dave Nickel both have kind of remarked about that, about, you know, what a great job we've done catching the football. When Mike Leach got here, I had a chance to visit with him. Oh, I guess it was uh, beginning of fall camp last year. We talked a little bit, and I, I said, "Was Coach, was there anything that surprised you, you know, about your team? And he goes, Steve, I'll be honest with you. I, he goes, I was kind of disappointed in the fact that so few guys knew how to catch the football. And I needed him to expound on that answer a little bit too, you know, because guys, they've been playing football their whole lives. But, you know, there's a way you do it and there's a technique to it that Spurrier and Nickel really preach. And a lot of those guys had just never really been held to that standard. It's kind of like, okay, they were out-athleting people. When you see guys today, you know, when I see Will Rogers, you know, lay up a pass to the boundary and I see Tulu Griffin – who looks to be covered, be able to go up and shield the defender and then catch that ball away from himself before it goes out of bounds on a contested catch. We weren't doing that last year. Uh, Makai Polk is a guy, too. If, if you have been on Gene's page, you've heard us you know, talk about him a lot. We've written about him a lot. In the red zone, that's a guy that we're going to look for a lot because anything thrown in his direction, he takes ownership of. And someone would say, well, you know, Steve, I want to see it on the field. You know what? I do too. I, I do too. But I think, you know, based on what we have seen, the early returns on Makai Polk is he, you know, he is going to be a valuable addition. He's currently running first team with the wide receivers. Your first team wide receivers today, and I guess it's really been the same since Friday, outside is Malik Keith and then Makai Polk on the other side. The inside receivers, 
Jaden Wiley, Austin Williams. Probably no surprise there. Tula Griffin running with the twos. Rufus Harvey also having a really good camp. You know, Rufus is a guy, too, that was kind of a local favorite. A lot of people, you know, and, and here's the thing, too. I, I'm a Starkville Yellow Jacket parent, too. I've had two girls graduate from Starkville High School. I have a Starkville High School junior right now. And so, I have, you know, I've got some affection for that program, too. I don't think that I'm a Starkville High School homer like some other people are. I mean, it's like anytime Starkville High has a guy that has some Division One interest, you know, we think Mississippi State should offer – whether they can play here or not. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was really on the fence about Rufus Harvey for a while, and maybe that wasn't fair to him. I think a lot of that's because I had so many people kind of browbeating me about Rufus. I just wasn't sure. Not sure he fit. And then I go see him the first day of Mississippi-Alabama All-Star practice, and I'm thinking, no, we got to offer this kid. This kid is really, really good. And then – his route running ability and his ability to consistently get open has translated to the SEC practice field. That is exciting because this is a guy that was, you know, pretty much unheralded as a high school prospect from a recruiting standpoint. Put up some big numbers, uh, you know, played with Altmaier there at uh, at Starkville, and so he was kind of the uh, you know the target of choice in many respects. But now he's doing it here. And this is against SEC-caliber defensive backs. I'm not saying he's out there just you know, carving up walk-ons. You know, he is pretty much capable of getting open against anybody. And he has an, an unreally freakish catch radius for, you know, for a smaller guy, for an inside receiver. He's got really long arms and the ability to kind of elevate and catch balls out away from him that I think a lot of guys don't possess. And so do I think he's a 1,000-yard receiver? Probably not. But I think this year he is a guy that can make a very solid contribution. I believe that him and Tulu Griffin are kind of a young nucleus for us kind of moving forward, maybe in the next year. Now, you've had to transfer. Jameer Calvin is coming from Washington State, and Dave Nichols spent some time talking about him. About you know, it's nice to have an older guy like that that can help coach up the young guys, but also, too, a guy that you don't have to spend a lot of time educating on the nuances of this offense. He's played in it at Washington State, and knows exactly what's expected of him. And you can see, and it's one thing that I mentioned, and I don't, I don't want to mention the young guys because I don't want you guys to get a negative impression because, you know, we're three, we're three days in, and Sunday's the first day in pads. But there are some balls at times that are thrown to some of the younger receivers that are catchable. And in their mind, they're not catchable. It's because they've never had to put forth that level of effort in practice. And then you see a guy like Jameer Calvin that it doesn't matter if the ball is uh, – is poorly thrown or not, if it's too low, if it's too high, it's too far out in front, he is going to lay out for it. And that is exactly the example that you want a veteran to show these younger guys. And I asked Dave Nickel a little bit about that today. He's like, you know, well, how do you get those young guys there? And he goes, hey, that's a good question. But, you know, a lot of it is you depend on your veterans to kind of instill the basic tenets of your football culture. And that's where I think Jameer Calvin really helps. I think Makai Polk helps in that, even though it's a new offense for him. This is a guy, too, that's very skilled, but also, too, very competitive. And so when they see Jameer Calvin, Austin Williams, some of those guys out there really competing and laying out for footballs, all of a sudden it's, okay, well, that's what it takes. That's what it takes to compete here in the Southeastern Conference. And the difference is, you know, in years past, we've had one or two of those guys. You know, we got about a half dozen of those guys right now. You know, watching Malik Heath – get out there and compete with a size Verge. And at times it gets contentious. It does. And that's – and listen, if you know anything about Malik Heath, you know Malik's not happy until he's running his mouth. 
So Farge and Heath are just kind of going at each other in, in a good-natured way. I mean, they're, they're competing. And so one day, you know, Farge gets a, you know, a good rap, and then Malik Heath will get a good rap, and then Malik Heath will feel like he's being pushed off or held back, and he'll remark on that. But you know what? Then he wants the football. He's like, I'm going to show you you can't defend me. And then the next thing, you know, Asias Farge kind of slides underneath and breaks the ball up, and the first guy to compliment him is Malik Heath. The first guy to say, hey, man, good job there. It's Malik Heath. And that's what you want. You don't want guys out there, even though they, you know, they kind of get after each other a little bit, because, listen, I, if they don't bite his puppies, they're not going to bite his dogs. Right? And so I like to see some spirited competition, and you get that with this wide receiver group. You know, I think Austin Williams, you know, Mike Leach used to talk about, call him Steady Eddie. I mean, he's just a guy that gets caught doing the right things over and over and over and over again. And if you want a guy to be a great ambassador for your program, and obviously he went to SEC media days for us, but, you know, he is a guy that really shares the value system of Mississippi State. And so when you think about this group, you know, when the guys, the younger guys are going to look to the older guys to see how to act. And you got Malik Heath out there, even though, listen, he's got to grow up a little bit and it appears maybe he has some. But you got Malik Heath out there, you know, treating each practice rep like it's fourth and goal on the one in the Egg Bowl. That's only going to make you better. Then you got Austin Williams out there always doing the right things, always knows where to be, always knows how to secure the catch. Then you got Jameer Calvin out there just laying out for everything, you know, trying to earn a spot, trying to ensure he's got a spot in rotation. Then you got Makai Pohl catching everything in the red zone. That guy is a different level. I mean, we've talked about some of these transfers, and that's the thing I've learned about, you know, about hype when it comes to preseason camp. Is the, the newcomers sometimes get so much hype, it's not fair to them. And, you know, again, Makai Polk's got to do it in the SEC. But here's the thing. You can go look up a, a highlight video of Makai Polk at Cal. And all due respect, you know, he's not out there playing, you know, against Mississippi Delta Community College. And you're seeing him do it against Power 5 opponents. And so, yeah, like some other guys that have kind of been bounced backs, guys of Power 5 experience, this is a guy that shows up and already knows how to work. Many of these younger guys, when they show up, they think they're going hard. They do. Hey, I'm out here working hard. I'm doing the best I can. They don't know what hard is yet. They don't know what the grind of an SEC schedule is about. They don't understand that, you know, practice is not just something to be endured but enjoyed. And so they will get to that point. And, again, a lot of that boils down, you know, to the culture. You're veterans instilling the culture in them. And we have some really good veterans. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. 
Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Now let's talk offensive line. That's the thing you guys want to hear about, right? Now, I think we've done pretty well. I I wouldn't say we've done great. And I think part of it, too, is because this defensive front is actually pretty salty. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But I've been pleased so far with what I've seen from this defensive front. But the offensive line is kind of more than holding their own. There are times they get beat on the flank. But, again, this is a group, too, that's kind of learning to, to develop some continuity and cohesion. You know, left to right right now, you're running Charles Cross at left tackle. Cam Jones ran some at left guard. LaQuinson Sharp has been taking the first team reps at center. That's a little bit of a surprise, to be honest with you. You know, Cole Smith, obviously still competing there, but running second team. Right guard is Dollar Bill. I think Dollar Bill Johnson is going to make a lot of money as an offensive guard. I think he's a guy, too, that probably needs to play on the interior. I think sometimes – I kind of question at times if he has the quickness to get out there at right tackle and kind of keep people from collapsing the pocket. And now you got Scott Lashley out there at right tackle. And so Scott's got an opportunity now to really do something. There was some discussion last year, oh, Scott got me back. And I remember talking to Mason Miller about that. And he goes, hey, yeah, yeah, he's going to be back. Yeah, we, we want him back. And Scott's one of those guys, too, that's been told, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to work it till you, till you play. And listen, we all knew it. You know, when he went to Alabama – you know, to be honest with you, we knew that at some point he would get recruited over. And if he had gone to Mississippi State, he's probably a three-year starter right now. And someone would say, well, well, Steve, you know, what are you saying? Alabama's better than us? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, Alabama is better than us. And a guy like Scott Lashley probably could have benefited from being here at Mississippi State. It's not to say that he didn't have some good experiences at Alabama, but he would have played more here because we're not at Alabama's level right now. 
But I think Scott Lafley's a guy that feels like he's got a little bit to prove. This is the last year he's got to really show that he can do it here, maybe perhaps get a chance to go to a camp with somebody next year. But that's your starting five. You know, Reed Bias is a guy that's a bit of a swing guy. He's a guy that's competing some on the interior. He'll play some too, especially in a non-conference. That's a guy too that looks completely different than he did two years ago. Completely different. This guy's really embraced the weight room. And obviously too, you know, his brother Talbot Bias played at Ole Miss. And so – He's had a little bit of mentorship from a guy who's been there. Even though Talbot didn't play a whole lot. This is a guy that was in camp, I guess, for three years at Ole Miss. So he understands what it takes to compete in the Southeastern Conference. And so that, that's, a, that's a resource that Reed has, too, you know, kind of beyond the program itself is a guy that, you know, that he knows and trusts is going to shoot him the, the truth is that, hey, this is what you got to do. This is how you got to be in the weight room. That's great. And I think Reed, again, is a guy, too, that provides us some quality depth. A lot of people have asked about the young guys. You know, Albert Reese is a guy that uh, – Gabe Cavazos. You know, those guys right now, they, they look the part. But, you know, they're, they're still so, you know, second-guessing right now. They've never had to deal with the speed of the game like this. And so, they're going to get up to speed. But anybody expecting a freshman offensive line to play, really asking a little bit too much. As great as Charles Cross is, you know, he's a projected number one pick – in next year's draft, I mean, you know, that freshman year, there was a lot of, you know, forgettable moments because he wasn't strong enough. Now I think he's up around 310 or so. He's now adjusted to a new playing weight, and he looks a lot more comfortable. Running backs, you know, listen, you know, there's only so much you can say, you know, but Dylan Johnson looks great. Jaquavius Marks does look bigger and stronger. I like both of those guys. Those guys are, you know, pretty, pretty adept receivers, um, you know, a, out of the backfield. I mean, those guys, you know, listen, we're not you're not doing full contact in practice, but you know, they're, they're running hard. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what they bring to the table. Now, Will Rogers, I, and I've said, you know, from for several months now, listen, it, it's Will's team. Jack Abraham transfers in from Southern Miss, you know, really hoped that he would be there to kind of push Will a little bit. Jack has not practiced uh, much at all the last three days. And there's been some rumors out there, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned. The first thing I'm going to tell you, Jack Abraham is in no way in trouble with anybody. He is not in any doghouse. He hadn't done anything. He's not being withheld from practice for anything that he's done. And he was out of practice uh, on Sunday, just didn't fully participate, kind of observing that sort of stuff. I understand just there was kind of a freak accident, you know, in some drills that they were kind of working on voluntarily this summer. And he picked up an injury and still kind of – that's kind of lingered a little bit. But but Jack Abraham's fine. You know, fine from a discipline you know, standpoint. He's not quite there physically right now. And, and it really hurts him in the, in the competition for quarterback. You can't compete if you're not on the field. And that's no fault of his own. It's just kind of you – know, that's the breaks of life sometimes. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there that will maybe suggest there's more to this than – that I'm sharing with you, but I'm telling you, uh, the source that I have on this is absolutely impeccable. He just got a little bit banged up, and he's just not back yet. And so, with you know, we're, we're going out there even at you know half contact. I mean, you just can't run the risk, you know, putting a guy out there before he's 100% ready to go. And so, I think it's important to just kind of take a step back, take a deep breath. We at Mississippi State sometimes are very enamored with the backup quarterback. I don't know why, but we are. I guess because we've had to play him so much over the years that we feel like, hey. That guy's got to be good. But when I look at Sawyer Robertson you know, throwing the ball around out there, I mean, it's exciting. That guy really throws a nice pass. He spins it really well. Do I think that he is going to compete for the starting job this year? No, I don't. I do think that he is really going to push Will Rogers a lot next year, though. 
as he gets more comfortable, as he gets bigger and stronger. Because right now, he needs to gain some weight. He does. I'm not saying he's a beanpole by any stretch, but he's not Nick Fitzgerald yet either. And I think that's, you know, I, I think that's how he'll look later in his career. He'll get, he'll fill out, get bigger and stronger. I think he's going to be excited about him. And that quarterback room is pretty good. Probably the surprise of camp so far at quarterback is uh, Chase Lovertich. Not the biggest guy, but he makes a lot of plays when things break down. He's able to kind of get outside. And he does a good job, too, of kind of stepping up in the pocket and buying some time to kind of prolong a play. He's a heady guy. I can see him, you know, Right now, I would say that he might be the number two quarterback. You know, with Abraham unavailable, I would say, you know, Lovertich is probably the number two right now. I don't think we're going to have to, you know, depend on him to go win a ball game for us, but at the same time, too, I, you know, the guy can make some plays. Kind of a forgotten man in that quarterback competition. It's funny how life works sometimes. When he transferred in, there wasn't a lot of fanfare behind it. But, you know, now when I watch him out there running around, and watching him throw on the run with pretty good accuracy, I think, hey, I can, I can see why this guy, you know, made some plays South Alabama. And, again, I, you know, I don't think you can go commit a season to him, but I think that he is a guy, if necessary, you can get out there and play with him and feel pretty good about how things are going. But offensive-wise, again, I think we look pretty good. And, and one of the questions that people had on the Gene Page message board is, hey, how do you feel about us, you know, against the eight-man coverage right now, the drop eight? Well, you know, right now, Zach Arnett is running his defense. And so we're, we're not really able to see that. Now, once we get a little closer to Louisiana Tech and they begin game planning, running the scout team, we'll see a lot more of that. But right now, we're just kind of running our scheme against their scheme. We're not doing a whole lot of that, a lot of zone coverage. And we know we're going to see a lot of it, so we'll have to practice against it. And, and listen, Mike Leach is no dummy. That's one of the things, too, that I, I kind of laughed at a little bit last year. A lot of people just jumped on the scheme – and said, oh, my gosh, listen, guys, you don't think they ran the drop eight in the Pac-12 or the, or, or the Big 12? Of course they did. This is not something new that all of a sudden they get here and oh, we're the, you know, the first conference to ever drop eight and rush three. It's just not true. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you got to kind of take what the defense gives you and kind of, you know, check your way on down the field and kind of, you know, kick, get, get them out of that zone. you got to run the football a little bit more, too. And, again, that goes back to something I said here a couple weeks ago. You know, the, one of the reasons we ran it more late wasn't because we put more runs in the game plan. It's just that Will Rogers was the guy that was able to read the defense and kind of check us out of a bad play into a good play based on the look of the defense. And so, yeah, we're going to run it more this year. But, we, you know, listen, we installed the air raid. We hired a guy to run his scheme. We didn't hire him for him to come here and us tell him, hey, coach, you got to do this. We hired him to run a football program. You know, we're not going to have like a, a Twitter poll to call plays or anything like that. You know, so the reality of it is, is that, you know, we should be better in all aspects on offense. And there's going to be a lot more depth at receiver. You know, it's not just because of the fact you get some of these transfers in, but, you know, I think some guys are really maturing. You know, you look at Brody King. You know, Brody King is a guy last year, it was, you know, he was a walk-on and he got some, some praise in practice. He was probably the, you know, probably the highest you know, netting receiver on Sunday. Guy had a big day. And you got Tripp Wilson from Tupelo. Looks like a completely different player from a physical standpoint. He's out there competing too. And, and I said when we got him as a walk-on, this is almost like getting you know, kind of a G5 scholarship guy to walk on at the, at the SEC level. The, Tripp Wilson can play for us. 
Does he play a lot this year? Probably not. But I could see him kind of developing into an Austin Williams type of guy. You know, being that dependable guy on third and four and third and five that you, you know that you look for because you know that this is a guy that's going to run the route beyond the sticks and it's going to be able to fall forward. But when you see him out there running around now, you can see this is the guy again that's embraced the weight room. And so I expect this wide receiver group to take a big jump forward. I don't think there's any question. And we mentioned the young running backs, Simeon Price, Katravian Hargrove. They're getting some reps too. They're, they're, obviously, they're not getting the same that the uh, you know the first team guys are getting, but they're they're a chance to kind of get out there and get their feet wet a little bit. I don't know how much they'll play this year, if at all. But you know, those are guys too that we we're excited about kind of moving forward. Yeah, probably the challenge right now, you know, for this Mike Leach offense is you're probably going to need about eight guys to play offensive line, right? I mean, you got your five. You got to have a backup center. You got to have a swing guy that can play guard and probably a third tackle. And so that's kind of the challenge of camp right now is if you feel pretty good about your starters and you got Cole Smith as your number two center, that's a guy that's got a lot of SEC snaps under his belt. You, know, you just go find your third tackle. Is that Albert Reese? I don't know. Is that Nick Jones? I don't know. Is it Carson Williams on the interior? We're kind of figuring that out. Is it Reed Byers? You know, so that's, you know, it's about Mason Miller kind of finding out who he can trust. And that's really one of the things that I'll be watching over the course of the next week is, you know, what's that second group look like on the offensive line? Not just who's out there, but how are they playing? You know, are these guys really challenging? Are they getting better? Because, like, we're three days in a row, and so, like, today at times, I won't say it's sloppy, but, you know, that some guys didn't have the same level of juice. They did day one. Well, not to mention we got the pads on too. So, you know, there's a, there's a possibility of getting hit a little bit, you know. And so, matter of fact, Brody King got hit on a play today, and I won't say which defensive back it was, but uh, after he scored, he got hit kind of low. And then uh, Darcel McBath or Jason Washington, I can't remember which one it was, uh, they addressed it, shall we say. Pretty stern talking to out there. But, again, you know, we're teammates. And we got to take care of each other. And so, again, you know, I have seen enough in three days that it's kind of piqued my optimism a little bit, I guess you could say. You look at this and say, you know what, hey, this is – and we do look better. We do look better. We look more comfortable, and, and we should. We got the benefit of a full season and a spring practice for the first time under our belts. And so, you know, you know we're doing a good job knowing where to go with the football. That's one of the things that I would say last year. There were times that, you know, we had these – kind of these predetermined reads, like when we saw it in pre-snap, okay, I'm going to go here. I think we're doing a better job kind of working our progressions and kind of letting plays develop for us. I think that's a big thing that's happening, you know, so far in the early stages of camp is that, you know, we're doing a better job distributing the football. We're getting deeper into the play. And, and that's also a byproduct of the offensive line improving. you got to give the quarterback some time. I mean, listen, if you're running for your life, and there were some times K.J. Costello – early in the year. I mean, just, just simply had nowhere to go with the football because as soon as he snaps the football, you know, there's somebody in his face. So it all works together. It all works together. All right, today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You guys know Blair. B-L-A-I-R. Had a chance to visit with Blair on Saturday. Came out to Lemuria Books to visit with me for a little while. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people that are loan origination people. And there's some people that work from home, and I'm not in any way suggesting those people don't do a great job. But for my money, I'm going to go with the guy that has got 21 years of experience. 
I'm going to go with the guy that works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five brokerage houses in the country. Blair Chandler, one of the top one percent of producers with Fairway Mortgage. That's a pretty nice accomplishment. So you've got a championship caliber guy working for a next level type mortgage company available to you. You can find Blair at closewithblair.com. And if you have questions, let me, let, me, let me point this out to you. There's a lot of people out there that say, you know what, Steve, I've always had this dream of home ownership, but I just don't know how to go about it. Call Blair. Don't be intimidated in the least. Blair has dealt with everything. I can assure you there are no, there are no issues that you have that Blair hadn't seen. And you know what? If he can't do it now, he'll give you a plan to make sure you can do it later to kind of help you get mortgage ready. Give Blair a call today, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. If you didn't get that, again, just go to closewithblair.com. This is a guy that handles VA loans, conventional loans, anything under the sun that you have seen, he can handle. There's no job too big or too small for Blair Chandler. And again, Blair's a good friend, big bulldog, got a place here, season ticket holder, multiple sports. And I enjoy doing business with bulldogs whenever I can. Okay, top 10 list. And this is a one of the 80s heavy metal hair band. And I hate to even use that term, but they were, they were definitely a hair band. And we hadn't done them. And so I'm going to talk about this one. We've done almost 300 top, top 10 lists now. We hadn't done this one. Now, part of it's because of a personal bias. I was never a big fan of this band. And one of the reasons why, to be brutally honest with you, is I didn't really like some of their fans. Because a lot of their fans kind of skewed more towards the pop. And so if you, were, if you remember this in the 80s, you know, it was like we just we didn't – those of us that listened – to Headbangers Ball and spent our money at Bebop Record Shop and wore spike bracelets and things like that. We didn't listen to New Kids on the Block. We just didn't. We didn't listen to Debbie Gibson. We, we liked her a lot, but we didn't listen to her. Same thing for Tiffany. We liked her a lot. We didn't listen to her. But a lot of those fans that kind of listened to the pop music, and I used to always laugh, like when Power 108 on the coast, your new power pack coming up, Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, and the Pet Shop Boys or whatever. You know, it's like, let's not call it a power pack, okay? Maybe a double A battery. But but my point being is that uh, a lot of those pop fans really latched on to this band because they were such a huge band on MTV's, Dial MTV, and it's the rock band Poison. And so one of my complaints about Poison is I just never really considered most of the guys in the band kind of serious musicians. And namely C.C. DeVille. I'm not a C.C. DeVille fan at all. I don't, I don't really think C.C. DeVille is a very good guitar player. And it's funny, you read the history of Poison, and they say that they had a finalist, three finalists, and they picked C.C. DeVille over Slash. And I began to think, what would Poison be if they had hired Slash? You know, Slash, of course, was hired to replace Tracy Guns and Guns N' Roses. A lot of people don't even know that Guns N' Roses is named after Tracy Guns and Axl Rose. Guns N' Roses, there you go. And so Slash replaced Tracy. But, uh, I, you know, I just can't hear Slash playing, you know, I Want Action or something like that. So, uh, but there, here's the thing about Poison, too, is Brett Michaels, while he's not a great singer, has written some really good songs. I mean, some, some songs that are iconic for the era. And there are some songs that kind of stand up. Now, I think once you got through Flesh and Blood, 
and especially once you got through uh, Native Tongue, I guess it was, the fourth album. I think the well kind of ran dry for Brett. You know, then, of course, he did The Rock of Love, the dating show and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know. You know, CC got fired from the band and, and things just weren't the same. But you know, there's some songs, and I'm going to talk about those songs today. They're really good songs. And I know many of you are huge Poison fans, and I get it, and I don't want to lose any friends, but I'm going to just be honest with you. I mean, they're just... There was a lot of the Poison catalog, to me, that was really hokey. And you say, well, Steve, you listen to Motley Crue. Motley Crue is ten, ten times the band that Poison was, even at their best. Just better. And so I think in many respects, what a lot of people disliked about the 80s, quote, metal scene was bands like Poison that were a little more image conscious over the quality of their music. I think they wanted to go play live and sell a bunch of T-shirts and sign a bunch of autographs. And then the music kind of came secondary, where I think, you know, band, even like bands like Rat and, for, and, and Warrant, for the matter, I think they were more, more serious rock bands. I think they were more and more um, in tune with writing good music. You know, and then Cinderella, of course, had the big hair with the Night Songs album, and they kind of became who they really were on the uh, Long Call Winter album. But, you know, those guys, when I look at them, I say, these guys are serious musicians, they're serious about their crafts. I just never got that impression from Poison. I'm going to be completely, completely incorrect, but that was always my perception. So here are some that didn't make the top ten. And uh, there's an honorable mention, and there's a dishonorable mention, too. So the honorable mentions are Cry Tough, Look But You Can't Touch, and I Won't Forget About You, or I Won't Forget You. I thought that was a little bit hokey and contrived. One of their biggest hits did not make the list, and, and I, I think this was a song that really, in many respects, kind of typified the negative stereotypes about 80s metal and that's the song unskinny bop what it's stupid i mean it the lyrics don't make any sense that driving bass line in the beginning was just hokey so unskinny bop didn't make it and, I, and it's the you know, people riding around singing unskinny bop i it, the whole thing is contrived i just i just can't get down with that but Here's the top 10 Poison songs, according to me. And I think most people will get down with this list. And there is, again, I think not having Unskinny Bop on the list gives it a lot more credibility. But number 10, and it's the only song that doesn't feature CeCe DeVille. So there have actually been, I guess, five guitar players in Poison. Matt Smith started because Poison was founded in Pennsylvania. They moved to Hollywood to kind of get going. Matt gave it up, moved back. They hired CeCe DeVille. C.C. DeVille was fired after Flesh and Blood. And then they hired Richie Kotzen, who had a great song on the Bill and Ted Bogus Journey soundtrack called Dream of a New Day. Richie was kind of kind of a wonder kind in many respects. Well, he lasted, I think, an album and a half. And then they hired Blue Saracino. Blue Saracino was a guy that was kind of considered a prodigy. He Like at 16 years of age, they were doing feature articles on him in Guitar Magazine. I mean, he was just technically at another level. It just didn't work though with Poison. As great as he was, I, just, I think in many ways, and, and you'll take this negatively, I think he was too good to be in Poison. Because I think some of the stuff that C.C. DeVille wrote was just kind of beneath his abilities, and I think he struggled to make it work. But the number 10 song, probably the biggest single they had in the post-C.C. DeVille era, is a song called Stand. And, it, and again, it's kind of a cliche song and the lyrics and stand for what you believe and that sort of stuff. But I thought musically it's a really good track. Number nine, and this is kind of a deeper track. We're going back to the debut album on Enigma Records. 
the best-selling album in the history of Enigma Records. Just look what the cat dragged in. And I'm going with the title track. Look what the cat dragged in is number nine. Now, the production value on a song leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, the harmonies on the chorus are really not very good, but I love the deeper guitar riff, and I actually love the song uh, in many respects. I like the lyrics. I thought this is, this is kind of a party song, and it's like, you know, you show up, you're hungover, and your clothes are disheveled, and you don't know your name or who you belong to, and you just kind of show up back home. And, and uh, I heard Ricky, Rock, Ricky Rocket say in an interview on the Westwood One Radio Network when um, – when Metal Shop used to come on, I used to listen to that on WRNO late at night. It was the best thing to stay up late and listen to Metal Shop because that's where we, you know, before we had uh, Headbangers Ball, the only place you could hear new music was on Metal Shop. And so Ricky Rocket said one time that uh, he and a friend showed up after a night of party and at home, and his mom said, look what the cat drug in. And that's kind of how the song was inspired. Uh, number eight, and this is a deeper track off the second album, Open Up and Say Ah. There's some controversy with this album cover, too. You can, I think you can still find the original online somewhere. But there was this picture of this, uh, this woman that was kind of had this demonic look, and she had like a snake tongue. And the censors made them change it. And so they put two black bars over it so they could sell it in places like Walmart and Kmart uh, because people were offended. And it's like it's incredible to think... In today's day and time, an album cover from Poison like that, something as, car- as cartoonish as it was, would uh, would force a record company to go do, make, take all these steps to, to get the market uh, share they wanted. But um, it's the lead track on the album, Open Up and Say Ah. It's called Love on the Rocks. And again, I like it. It's, um, it's a little deeper guitar tuning, too. I don't know if he drops it a step there or not. But Love on the Rocks is a great track. Number seven, Off of Flesh and Blood, and this is one of those songs, too, that I think is very relatable. It's uh, Life Goes On, and uh, I think Brett Michaels is actually at his best with ballads. I think he is a better ballad songwriter than he is the up-tempo stuff, even though he's a good performer. And again, not a great singer, but uh, you know, a really good front man. But Life Goes On is one that's uh, you know, very introspective. And uh, again, uh, one of their last great hits, number six off that same album, is Ride the Wind. And uh, it's another one of those songs, too, that I think I think they kind of benefited from being poison. What I mean by that is, is you know, if uh, if Tora Tora or the Bullet Boys released this song, I don't think it's quite the hit. I think they had built up such a following, even though that it wasn't one of their better songs. I think it had some longevity. And I do like the track. I like the message behind it. And now these last five, I think that uh, most of us would probably agree these are the top five. We may not agree on the order. And again, this is an unskinny bop free list. So if you're kind of holding your breath, maybe you're, you join the show late, not going to hear unskinny bop ever. You're never going to hear me ride around listening to it. You're never going to see me put a quarter in a jukebox and play it. You're never going to see me at a public event singing along to it. It's a stupid song. But number five... This is a song that means an awful lot to me. And there was, it's one of those things I started liking a song. And I'm like, wait a minute, why? I'm, I'm, I'm getting into poison. What's happening here? But this song was released at a very important time in my life. It was actually released late 1990, right before I kind of hit the, the skids and went to a downward spiral. And uh, when I was near my bottom of addiction, this song would come on MTV and it was a big major hit. And uh, it really resonated with me. And it's a song called Something to Believe in. And even though Poison is one of my least favorite bands, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. 
I think Brett Michaels hit an absolute home run with this one. Because I think at that point, not just in my life then, but there are times now that I just think, you know, with all the negativity in life, sometimes I just need something to believe in. And, and I don't just mean from a spiritual standpoint, because that, that's established. But there, there's so many people in life that disappoint you. And it may not even be, you know, people that you know well or intimately. They're just people that, you know, in life that just have this, you know, jaded view of the world. And, and sometimes you, you just kind of struggle to think, you know, with all the negativity in life, is there anything positive to believe in? And so, again, this song is released at a very important time in my life. And uh, maybe that's one of the reasons I like it as much as I do. I could easily make a case for this to be number one. But I think it would be a disservice to the songs that are ahead of it. But I do something to believe in is a very, very powerful song. If you're unfamiliar with it, let me encourage you to listen to it. Number four, probably the best video Poison ever produced. Love the video. Love the song. Love the message. It's uh, Fallen Angel. Win big, Mama's Fallen Angel. And it's basically about... You know, some small-town girl goes out to Hollywood and tries to make it, and things don't go as well as, 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 well as they should. And then there's Brett driving the uh, Hollywood taxi uh, motorcycle, going to rescue her. So it's a great video. But also, I think, I think this may be C.C. DeVille's shiny moment. I, I think he does a good job on this one by C.C. standards. Number three, probably the one that really started it all. You know, Cry Tough had been out, and then um, I Won't Forget You had been out. But Talk Dirty to Me, everybody, everybody who was anybody, when this when this song broke, everybody was singing this song. Everybody was trying to learn that opening riff. I heard people play it on bass. I heard people play it on drums. It was like everywhere I went, everybody wanted to play and listen to Talk Dirty to Me. I think everybody really wanted to live that and just couldn't do it. But uh, Talk Dirty to Me was definitely one of those iconic songs from the 1980s. Number two, another one of those great ballads penned by Brett Michaels and also a true story. I love, I love the songs, the stories behind the songs. And I've actually read or probably I've seen an interview with the girl this song is about. And she hates it. She hates the fact that the song is leaked to her. And uh, it was shortly after Brett and her broke up, and he penned the song, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, which is what Bill and Ted say in Bogus Journey as the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? Well, every rose has its thorn. Every night has its dawn. Every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. Every rose has its thorn. The part in this song that always gets to me, even though that, you know, <laughs> I haven't dealt with this in decades but um you know the part late in the song where he says i hear you found somebody new and that i never meant that much to you well to hear that tears me up inside and to see you cuts me like a knife we've we have all felt that at some point most of us and maybe some of you people are just more beautiful than me but you know i felt that and it's one of those things you look at and you know when you read that and you hear those lyrics there is some authenticity you know every bit of that and so i, I respect the fact that uh Brett could take his pain and make something very positive out of it. A lot of people identified with. So there you go. Number two, every rose has its thorn. Number one, and I actually had a chance to meet Brett Michaels here a couple years ago. Visited with him for a little while. And I told him, I said, you know, Brett, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't a huge Poison fan. But I got to say, the one song that probably typifies the 1980s more than any other is nothing but a good time. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, brother, you're going to hear it tonight. And I didn't have the heart to tell him I didn't stay for the show. I didn't stay. I, I was at Rocklahoma. I was ready to get back, so I didn't stay for Poison. And uh, maybe I should have. 
you know. Um, but nothing but a good time. It's just that there is a lot of good lines in that song. And, it, and musically, it's great. I think a lot of people see it because it was kind of a celebration of the common man. And I love the part where he says, I raise a toast to all of us that are breaking our backs every day. If wanting the good life is such a crime, then go ahead and throw me away. You know, I, I just... I think that's one of those things that the common man and woman in America can identify with. It's like, I work so hard, I put up with all this nonsense, I just want to go out and have a good time every once in a while. And so I get it. And so that's the number one for me. That's a poison list. I can't believe we waited this long to do it. Uh, Maybe it's because of my own personal bias, but I hit Roy up and I said, hey, have we done poison? Because I had another request for it. I probably have had about 50 in the last uh, year to do poison. So now we've done it. And uh, you guys obviously uh, had a good time with the CCR list. I've had a lot of people message me about it. It nearly cracked the top ten, and we had had a you know week or so there where the you know the numbers were just kind of okay, and then you guys uh, jump on a CCR list, and uh, I even had John Cohen come up to me and say, "Hey, I told you the CCR list, man. It's a good list. CCR is a great band. Poison's not on that level, but I tell you, Poison sold a ton of records. They were extremely popular." And mainly with uh, young teenage girls, but they were very, very popular. And so there's a poison list. For those of you who love poison, I hope you enjoyed the list. Uh, that's my take on it. And again, don't, 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 don't let friends listen to Unskinny Bob ever. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Great friends, great people, great product. You can go by and see Stan and Mammoth, Kathy Brown, Lovely Talented, Susie Cheyenne, Candy, the whole group. You'll be glad you did. Those guys are part of a Stark Billy and institution. Been here forever and a day. They'll be here long after we're gone. Campus Bookmart, a great place to do business. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's talk a little defense. I told you guys I feel really good about that front. You know, we talked a little bit last week about Bob Shoot's comments about Cameron Young. Guys, he looks like what you would expect an SEC interior defensive lineman to look like, and he's playing that way too. This is a guy that eats up space. This is a guy that can split gaps. He's a guy that just makes a mess in the middle. Jaden Crumbity, similar. You know, Jaden's a guy, too, that's a little bit of a flex because, you know, he was a defensive end there at Oak Grove High School, and then he showed up on campus and he gained about 40 or 50 pounds. I mean, it took him a year, even though he played and started as a true freshman because, you know, when Deke Adams got here, you know, with Joe, we, we didn't have any, any experience at all. We had whiffed on some defensive tackle recruiting, and so we had to kind of start – uh, Crumity and Pickering as freshmen, they had to kind of take their lumps. And Crumity's been the better for it. You know, Pickering's still kind of finding a sense of himself. You know, he opted out last year due to some COVID-related issues. Uh, still not quite there from a football fitness standpoint. I mean, he's out there competing and working, but he's not really challenging for a starting spot. And people oh, well, Steve, what does that mean? He'll be fine. Just give him some time. He'll be fine. Nathan Pickering didn't fall off. He's just kind of getting caught up and getting back up to football shape. So, uh, you know, came back in the spring, and uh, it's it's a grind fall camp is. But uh, he's a guy that's going to play for you this year. But I think when you look at Cam Young and you look at Jaden Crumberty, they look like what you want to have in the middle. 
Now the ends, there has been some ebb and flow a little bit with the first team ends. Jack Harris playing one side. Randy Charlton was with the ones one day. Jordan Davis is a guy, too, that's kind of that third defensive end. After day one, we get into team drills, and Jordan Davis is routinely in the backfield. Routinely in the backfield. So you've got some options there. Yeah, another guy, too, that we haven't talked an awful lot about that really stood out in day one was King Ani. Now, King Ani, I'm going to give you a little backstory here for those of you that are unfamiliar. King Ani was a four-star recruit at a Davidson Academy in Nashville. And so this is a guy, too, that's basically, you know, in many respects, kind of a refugee uh, from Africa. And so he gets over there and just, you know, gets some injuries. And so he shows up on campus you know, with a bad shoulder and an ACL tear, and then you couldn't have both of those surgeries at once. So, like, as soon as he got here and got settled and got in with the Mississippi State, you know, training and medical staff, they fixed the ACL. Then they fixed the shoulder. And then he finally gets better, and then he gets out there and he tears a hamstring. Well, there was some things last year people said, you know what, he's probably going to transfer, probably not going to be back. And then you walk out there on Friday and you see the guy, and it's like, Hey, who's number four? Oh, that's King Ani? Are you kidding me? He looks like a million dollars. Now, can he play that way? That remains to be seen. But he certainly passes a looks test. And so, yeah, this is a guy that's clearly committed himself to getting bigger, faster, and stronger. Will it translate to the field? You know, we'll see. But when I begin to look at that, that group out there, all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait a minute. These guys can play a little bit. DeMonte Russell's a guy who, uh, I guess it's his right wrist, is in a, uh, in a cast. And that's something that he's been needing to get taken care of for a while. But, uh, you know, he, I guess he's running second team right now at end. But that's another guy, too, that, you know, we expect a big year from. And you look at him now and look at what he was two years ago. He didn't even look the same person. He looks like an SEC defensive end. This is a guy that can get out there and chase a quarterback for you. Excited about what he brings. You know, but when you begin to kind of piece this thing together and you add Randy Charlton to it, and all of a sudden you add DeMonte Russell. People forget DeMonte Russell didn't play last year. Redshirted last year to get healthy. Remember, they had that really bad car accident, he and J.P. Purvis. J.P. Purvis running with the linebackers right now, running with the backers. And I always expected that would be the case. I know a lot of people expect him to stay at safety. I thought he would grow into a backer because as, as big and long as he is, when they start putting some uh, – some effort into the weight room. They add some mass pretty quickly. And that's kind of what's happened with JP. It's a guy still fleet of foot now. He's a good bit of play. But he's running with the backers. But, uh, you know, DeMonte, a guy, too, again, needed a year off last year to get 100% healthy. He is. He looks great. Uh, expecting him to make a real contribution. Uh, your linebackers' first team, Aaron Brule out there on the weak side, Nathaniel Watson at the mic replacing Errol Thompson, and then Ty Wheat with the Sams. That's a very formidable group. You know, Nathaniel Watson was the guy we talked about. He played every linebacker spot last year because we had some COVID issues and some injury stuff, and he became kind of a swing guy. And so now the fact that he has experience in every position makes him more valuable as a Mike because he knows what the Sam is supposed to do on this protection uh, and against this protection, you know, how do we attack here on this blitz package? What the weak guy's supposed to do? Not that Aaron Brulette needs a lot of coaching. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. But now you've got a guy that's pretty heady and a guy too that, that understands the expectations of each guy in that linebacker core. Uh, we spoke with Aaron Brulette, and I'll have this article up on Gene's page later on Monday. He said Jed Johnson's really impressed him. 
you know, and, and this is time for Jet, right? I mean, this is this is when Jet needs to be kind of rounding into form. And so that's very encouraging to hear because some people said, well, you know, I guess Jet's kind of lost in the shuffle. But apparently Jet's out there competing. Uh, you know, I've seen him out there do some nice things and show some flashes. But to hear it from a guy like Aaron Brule, a guy that knows what the expectations are, and to see that guy kind of rising up there to meet him, I think is very important. Get some younger guys out there. I mean, Tamar Rogers, Nick Mitchell, those guys are kind of swimming a little bit, you know, still. They look good, though. I think Nick Mitchell probably uh, looks like he's put on about 15 pounds since last year. He really looks the part. He's wearing number 42. They're 40, like Errol Thompson. You know, you kind of do a double take and say, is that Errol back out here? No, he's not. Now, Deshaun Page is a guy that was a transfer, too, and he hadn't played in a year, you know, so he's still kind of getting back in. Made a really nice dive and interception on Sunday. Very athletic guy. He really stands out. You know, he wears number 16, and that's going to be a guy when we start playing football, a lot of people are going to be grabbing that program and saying, hey, who's 16? That guy looks like a monster. And he does. He's a big physical guy. He was really tentative in the spring. You know, he's still trying to figure it out. He's playing a lot faster now. But again, he's running with the twos, but he is a guy that will be in the rotation. You should expect to see him a lot. Secondary-wise, that's one of those things that I really get excited about. You know what the corners look like. Emmanuel Forbes looks like a different player. You know how great he was last year? His confidence level has absolutely soared. You know, he looks like a guy now. It's like that he's playing a different game than everybody else. He just looks to be a step ahead. This is a guy that apparently has really accepted coaching from Darcel McBath really well. You know, remember he wasn't a starter at the beginning of the year. We'd heard some big things about him. But he wasn't quite ready to start, and then we have a few busts in the secondary. Next thing you know, he's starting and then, you know, becomes uh, one of the great uh, pick six guys in our program's history in one year. He already, he's already tied for the school record after just one year, pick sixes. The next pick six that he has will be the most in school history. It's ridiculous. And, I don't, yeah, he turned that game around in the, in the Armed Forces Bowl. You know, Tulsa's driving a little bit. Next thing you know, he steps in front of a pass and takes it back for a touchdown. You know, he, this guy's a game-breaker. He is. And he's getting only getting better. Martin Emerson's a guy, too. I think Martin is one of those guys, too, that our fans maybe don't fully appreciate how intelligent he is. Because, I mean, you're not around him much. And we didn't had a chance to interview him a whole lot. He's not a guy that necessarily does real well at the podium. But, you know, when you watch him out there interacting with Darcy Bath, you kind of get a sense that this guy really understands what's going on. He's not a guy just getting by on athleticism. This guy's using his head. And so I like the corners. The Camryon Richardson and Asias Furge are the backups. Not a real surprise there. And listen, they're not at the same level as those guys in front of them for a reason. But the Cambrian athletically is just as athletic as Emerson and Forbes, if not more so. He's just learning the nuances of the position. And there are sometimes you look you look up and he makes a play and you're like, hey, look at this. And the next time, you know, he may get beat on the same play. And so it's just about really kind of establishing some consistency with him but I mean I'm so excited about these safeties when you begin to look at that group it's like I, I even joked with uh, Brandon Langlois I was like Brandon this is what SEC safeties look like and again no disrespect to those guys that got out there and gave their absolute best for Mississippi State last fall in no way am I being critical of them but there's a reason they're down the depth chart they're just not quite as talented as the guys ahead of them. It doesn't mean they don't work hard. It doesn't mean they don't want it. It doesn't mean they're not out there trying to make a contribution. And in no way am I suggesting that. 
But, you know, last year, basically, you know, we, we lost the Georgia and Ole Miss game because we couldn't defend the deep shot because everybody wanted to dial up and take a shot because they knew we were struggling in pass coverage at safety. That is the reality of the situation we were in. We are not there anymore. When you see Fred Peters out there jumping around, and he's put on some mass too, and you see Colin Duncan out there floating around, and you see Jalen Green out there running around, and I saw Jason Washington kind of talking to him today, and, hey, this is what you got, and this is your alignment here. And then the next time, Jalen's doing it. And so that first team group, I think, is outstanding. But I think the second group, I don't think there's much drop-off with the number twos. Whereas there may be at some other positions, and let's say that maybe linebacker right now, maybe that second group is not on the same level as the first, and maybe that margin is a little bit wider. You could probably say the same for defensive ends, at least the fourth guy. I think you feel good about three with Jack and and uh, and Jordan and uh, Randy Charlton. But there is just not a lot of appreciable drop-off between the first and second group of safeties. That second group, the, the guy out there at Strong that's running around you know, making plays, Sean Preston. You know what that guy does in run support. London Crafts, a guy that, you know, he's been running second and third team. That was, that, was, that was your starter last year. Remember when he was announced and people were like, well, who is London Kraft? He was a walk-on. Now, let me share with you a couple things, too, that for those of you that are unaware, London Kraft and Sherman Timms, former walk-ons, both of those guys are on scholarship starting this year. They'll start this year on scholarship. And so that's a cool thing, too. We, we always like that moment. Now, they haven't announced that yet officially. Let's just say that my source on this is impeccable. And so London Crafts, a guy that's going to be a scholarship guy, and, and you know what the guy looks like. You know, I committed against the weight room. You know, his dad played professional football for many years uh, in the CFL. And so this is a guy with a high football pedigree as well. But the fact that a guy that was a starter last year is running second and third team is not an indictment on his talent. It is a testament to the fact that we have some guys back that are really working hard. Uh, Dylan Lawrence was a guy that a lot of people were kind of questioning that signing. Dylan Lawrence is out there absolutely chasing everything down. This guy, when you see him out there, he has committed himself to the weight room. He's probably put on 15 to 20 pounds of muscle since he arrived. People, like some of these new people in the media, before they get their roster, they say, hey, who's 24? That's Dylan Lawrence. And so you got Janari Dean – Sean Preston, and then Dylan Lawrence is your number two safeties. That's a lot of talent right there. Janari Dean obviously got hurt last year in fall camp, but, you know, he was a very highly coveted recruit when we signed him. And now he's up there running second team, you know, and this is a guy, too, we expect to be a starter long term. Probably will supplant Fred Peters once Fred moves on. He'll be the replacement there. But I like this group. And that's the thing, too. When you, when you have safeties that can defend the deep third, all of a sudden now quarterbacks got to hold the football a little bit longer. We can't just drop back there and sling it and then let their guy go make a play. You know, now all of a sudden we can get out there and defend a little bit, you know, over the top. Well, now all of a sudden they're going to be, you know, a little less likely to throw that ball up there because, you know, we've got a chance to go take ownership of that thing, too. And so I felt really good about this. And this is going to be a salty defense. You know what Zach Arnett did last year where they were somewhat handicapped? And, again, the job that Tony Hughes and Darcel McBath and Jason Washington did last year with a very limited secondary is remarkable. 
Now just imagine what they're going to do when they have a full two deep. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. You don't think the pass rush is going to get better because we can cover better? We, it absolutely will. That was the thing last year. We're like, oh, you know, at times we, we struggle to kind of generate the pass rush without us bringing a blitz. You know, I think, we, number one, you add personnel like Randy Charlton and you have guys like Jack Harris get bigger and better and stronger. And you've got a guy like Jordan Davis that understands this is the money year for him. You know, those guys are going to be getting after the quarterback. And now that offensive line is going to have to defend a little bit longer against those guys because we're going to be able to kind of prevent guys from just laying a ball up there, throwing the, the deep post and hoping for the best. And there were some guys, too, again, and in no way being critical of them. I mean, they know the reality of their situation. They're not starting for a reason. But there were some guys that were essentially special teamers that were asking to go out there and defend four and five you know, wide receivers you know, and they just didn't have the wherewithal, the skill, or the ability to get up there and make a play. And we still should have won a couple of those ball games that we lost. And so now when I begin to think about, okay, we got these guys back, now all of a sudden I get excited thinking about what could be. And again, are we going to contend for the West? No, we're not. Can we be an 8-4 and four team? Yeah, we can. Is it probably 7-5? and five? Maybe. But you know what? I think defensively, I think we're going to be better this year than we were last year, even though we lost Daryl Thompson, even though we lost Kobe Jones and Marky Spencer. I think we're going to be better because we're going to be better in the back end. And then we have addressed those needs by signing two really good linebacker classes back-to-back. And then, you know, you go out and get a guy like Randy Charlton, who's a plug-and-play guy at defensive end. I think you can feel really good about the direction of things. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys have heard me talk about Portico several times on the show. Portico is a great residential development right here in Starkville. And a lot of people are talking about it. You know what, Steve? I think you're right about this. This may be the new hot neighborhood in Starkville. If I was moving to Starkville now, this is where I would move. I got this big house out in the country and all this land. And now we moved here with a house full of kids. Now all the kids are leaving me. So now it's just a big house and a big yard and a lot of mowing to do. Right? But if I was moving now, I'd go to Portico. Wasn't what I was looking for when I moved in. Wasn't available. But you guys should give Portico a real chance. So the best way to get there is when you're coming to town and you turn off of 82 onto 12, like going to campus, the very first right. And I've had people message me and say, hey, Steve, we're going to be in town. We're going to go check out Portico. How do I get there again? Very easy. You take the first right off of 12, which is Pad Station Road. It crosses all West Point Road. I think it's about maybe a third of a mile there. And then there's Portico. It's 1.1 miles from campus. I mean, you're right in the heart of things, but you're close enough to enjoy it, but far enough away for the convenience and the privacy of it all. You get that great neighborhood market out there across the street, right across you know, 12 from, from you. So you don't have to go fight all that traffic on 12. You can jump out on the bypass and go to Big Walmart if you need to. It's a great place. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bedroom, two-bath house, excuse me, four-bedroom four-bath house. So, you know, they've got a house for pretty much any size family. And listen, whether it be your primary residence and investment property or perhaps just your home away from home, hey, Steve, this is our ball game place. Come on. Put all your state stuff up there on the walls and, uh, you know, feel good about life. Let me give you the number to call. Brooks Bryan, great friend of mine, great friend of yours. And it may be a great friend you just hadn't met yet, and that's Brooks Bryan. Former Diamond Dog, Brooks Bryan, a guy that's committed to Mississippi State, committed to the greater Starkville area. He's going to do you right. He's got all the information you need. 
Give Brooks a call today. That phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Phase one, nearly gone. So if you're looking to move right now, you probably need to make that call today. Uh, Phase two, getting up and rolling. It's a great place to live. Make Portico your next move. All right, you may have heard that Mississippi State baseball are going to open the 2022 season with Long Beach State. The dirt bags coming in. I like it, man. I like when the West Coast teams come out here and play. I'm disappointed. I don't know when we'll get Oregon State. Maybe we get them next year. Maybe we get them in 2023. But I like it when the West Coast teams come out here. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, they play a really good brand of baseball. But also, too, those guys are kind of RPI builders for us. We get a chance to win a couple ball games. They traditionally win a lot of games in their leagues, and so it helps in the RPI. And so I like it. You may recall back in 2020, we went out there and played. We lost two out of three. Didn't play exceptionally well. We also lost Tanner Allen, essentially, for the rest of the 2020 season. Nobody really wants to talk about that. But uh, the, the reality of it is, you know, Tanner dives and breaks a bone in his hand and uh, just trying to make a play for the team out there. Didn't work out for us. And I don't know. And even Chris Lamontis has said, I don't know how he would have played the rest of the year. You know, he wanted to play. Poor old Tanner Allen was beat up in 2020, guys. Remember when he fouled that ball off his knee and we didn't see him for about two weeks? You know, poor guy was beat up. And that's what makes 2020 that much more special is the guy kind of rounds himself back into good health and has a career year and then goes on and gets drafted, wins an Apple championship, all the good things, all the trimmings of a great year. But Long Beach State will pay us back for that trip. Now, there'll be some other things that'll pop up. We don't expect to have uh, – you know, another one of those big trips again. You know, we went to Fort Worth, and then, you know, we went out to uh, those uh, those kinds of trips this year. You know, who knows? You know, we used to have the big uh, baseball classic here, but we would host, you know, two or three teams and do a big tournament here. Don't know, and uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to sit down with Chris here pretty soon to kind of get some more information about non-conference scheduling. But uh, I don't know there's going to be a lot of people that want to come play the national champs in their own ballpark. And so I commend Long Beach State for willing to do that. Yes, they owed us a trip, but also, too, they could have easily just said, you know what, hey, let's do it next year. Because I don't know if you guys have realized this yet either. And we got a chance to be really good in baseball this year, too. And we were a relatively young team. And, yeah, you, you can't replicate what T.A. and Rowdy bring to the table. You can't. But you know what? Some of those guys that were kind of inconsistent this year are going to be better next year. You know, how many times you say, oh, well, Lane Forsyth, you know, really struggling to play it. You know, well, Kids are going to make a jump offensively this year. He understands how people are going to attack him now. Jake Gautry's a great hitting coach. He'll get that guy going. And there was a time there where Forsyth was hitting over 300, and everybody's like, man, this guy's just got it all figured out. Well, then, you know, the teams that are scouting us say, hey, we we got to figure this kid out. You know, there, there's a scouting report that's given before every game. I don't know if you guys know this. You should. And, and it changes over the course of a weekend. By the time you get to game three – they figured out where the holes in your swing are. That's what makes what Tanner Allen does consistently so miraculous in many respects. Is everybody has a game plan on Friday, he'll go out there and punch them in the mouth. And so they tweak it a little bit on Saturday. But by the time they get to Sunday, they think they know what he doesn't like. And the guy's still clutch. But when you've got a younger hitter, like say Elaine Forsythe, well, all of a sudden, okay, he has a good game on Friday. And they say, well, listen – we're not going to give that kid a fastball the rest of the weekend. Or we're not going to throw him anything on the inner half the rest of the weekend. And so now what they do is they start throwing the things that make you uncomfortable. And when you're young, like Elaine Forsyth or even a Cameron James in that respect, 
you know, you have to find a way to erase that deficiency. And that's what Mississippi State as a team did in 2021, better than anybody in the country. And as I'm writing this book and going back and reliving these weekends, saying, you know what, hey, this is when this happened. This is when we made this change. And then it stayed that way the rest of the year. And I still go back to this whole thing with Houston Harding. You know, it's like Houston had been so good for us in the midweek. He'd been good in relief. We finally give him a start against Missouri and some things don't go his way early in the ball game. And I think that's the only time that I thought the moment got a little bit too big for him. But, you know, down the stretch, that guy was as good as anybody on our team, except maybe Will Bednar. That was the guy that went out there and competed, though. But, again, he had to earn that opportunity. And that's a guy, too, you know, that in Missouri, you know, he elevated a couple change-ups, and then next thing you know, he's on the SEC Network in a highlight package for Missouri. And so, you know, when I go back and think about these things and, and think about the adjustments that you make as baseball is a game of adjustments, and it sounds like a cliche, but it is. And it's not just in-game adjustments. It's not you know, at-bat adjustments. It's not weekend adjustments. It's over the course of the season. you get got the best coaches in all of college baseball breaking down your film every single week. And what worked in week two won't work in week seven because they're going to take that away from you. They figure out, hey, this guy here, if you pitch him in or half fastball, belt high, he's going to make a souvenir out of that thing. Well, you know what? They're not going to do that. And that's what have you. Cam James gets that big start this year. You know, Cam James was like leading home run hitter on the team, uh, getting through non-conference play. I, I, he qu- he quickly went to nine home runs. Well, then you know what happened? Everybody says, you know what? We're going to throw this guy breaking balls. We're not going to throw him a fastball. We're not going to give in to this guy. And, and then, you know, Cam became aware of that. Instead of him chasing a lot of that stuff, those fastballs out of his own, because that's what happens to a young hitter. He's like, oh, I finally got something straight. It may be a little bit out of the zone. Let me try to go get this thing. And you try to do a little too much with it. Well, then Cam starts letting people walk him. So it moves the lineup along, and you've got a guy like Luke Hancock behind him who just doesn't strike out. And as Tim Corbin said in postgame of, uh, after Omaha, because, you know, the thing about Hancock is the bat doesn't even start until he's got two strikes. But that's a guy, too, that over the course of the season, you know, people adjust. And then you have to adjust. You have to counter what they do. And so that's what makes all this so much more remarkable is it wasn't the same nine year in, year out. Is it, you know, once Chris Lamonis figured out, hey, this guy's not going to be able to handle the adjustment. You know, it's like, hey, you've got this guy here, and early in the year he's blasting fastballs, but he hadn't seen a fastball for the last month, and he's hitting about a buck fifty. I got to get him out. Let him rest for a little while. Let me put somebody else in there. And as Landon Sims told me, and, and I thought it was remarkable, it's a conversation we had after Omaha, and he's like, People will never fully appreciate the fact that Chris Lamonis pushed all the right buttons this year. He said every decision he made with the lineup, every decision he made with pitching, it was all the right decisions. There were times maybe we let the pitcher in maybe a little bit too long, but it, they're few and far between. If you think about that VCU game, you know, we're out there, we're up 6-1, and Christian's dealing, but he's already over 100 pitches, and he gets a couple outs in an inning. And the next thing you know, we leave him in for two pitches too long, and, and it's a 6-4 ball game. You know, and again, that's not really on him. And Chris will tell you himself, probably got a little bit too greedy there. The you know, same thing happened, uh, you know, with Stone Simmons down at Vanderbilt. You know, Stone's just mowing him down, and then we thinking, hey, let's try to save another arm for you know for tomorrow. And you know, Stone kind of gets to the end of his stamina, and they get him a little bit. But that's part of baseball. You know, it's not just you know find out who you can trust. It's learning to trust yourself to make those difficult decisions. And that's the thing that I love about Crystal Monis 
is that guy is not scared to make a decision. Now, he may not want to deliver a kid bad news, but he understands what's best for Mississippi State baseball. You know, we, I go back to the Landon Jordan thing, and uh, that's one of the things that kind of haunts me. But you know what? I don't have to live with that decision. He does. But I, I go back and I think, you know what, that, how difficult that had to be for Chris is you got a guy over there at third that has not done anything to lose the job, but then he loses the job for the betterment of the team. That is a difficult thing for a young guy to live with. It's like, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not struggling. You know, <clears throat> I may not have the range. Somebody else does it third, but, you know, I'm making those routine plays, and I'm making some that are not routine. And I'm hitting the baseball. I'm putting the baseball in play. And then you're going to take me off the field because this guy's got more power than me. This guy's got a little more range than me. That's a tough thing to live with. It really is. We're paying Chris Simonis $1.2 million a year to make those decisions. And they're not easy decisions. It's easy for us to say that. You know, we're sitting up here and say, hey, well, you know, we got to keep Cam James batting lineup. And we did. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, we got Tanner Leggett and, and uh, Landon Jordan out there, scrappy guys, great players, real competitors, but they're not going to strike fear in the heart of any pitchers. You know, you got to have some guys up there that add some power in the order. And, and Lane Forsyth is an elite defender. There's sometimes I read some of the social media commentary about Lane Forsyth, and I just kind of laugh to myself because Lane Forsyth makes plays that there haven't been many shortstops in the history of Mississippi State baseball that have been able to make those plays. And it's probably been maybe since Matthew Maniscalco that we've had somebody with the, that, that tool bag to work with. And you know, we could probably make an argument for Ryan Gridley in some respects, but I think, I think that Forsyth probably has a little better range than Gridley did. But this is a kid that's going to get better. There's no question. And so you make a decision that puts a, a plus defender in, and then it, it salvages one of your big bats by moving the, the guy to third. But at the same time, too, there's a very deserving young man that has worked very hard for you that he is the odd man out in that decision. And, again, it's, it's tough for everybody involved, but it was for the betterment of Mississippi State baseball. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know if we win the NFL championship without making that decision. You know, Cam James needed to be in the order. And with Cam DHing, well, then you couldn't DH Callum Clark. So with Cam handling defense at third allows Callum Clark to DH. And I don't know if you win the NFL championship without Callum Clark. By that same token, Luke Hancock going from DH to first keeps that spot open too. You know, beginning of the year you got Drew McGowan and left. Then you end up with Brad Cumbus and sometimes Braylon Skinner. Then you had Luke Hancock at reserve catcher and DH. And so those three spots, you know, all year long we thought, well, left, you know, left field's going to kind of be a resolving door kind of based on matchups. And Josh Hatcher was a great defender for us, but, you know, Josh wasn't hitting the baseball. And, and that was a disappointment. I mean, it really was. We, Josh played the best baseball of his career in 2020. And you kept thinking, this guy's a 300 hitter. He's going to get it turned around. I don't know if it's draft-itis. I don't know if he just – maybe just, you know, the, trying to make up for lost time. He tried to do too much. Just don't know. But we weren't getting quality at bats. 
And then all of a sudden you put Hancock out there and, and Hancock makes a couple of errors and you begin to kind of second guess yourself a little bit. And you're like, what do we do? We're kind of damned if we do and damned if we don't. We need Hancock in the lineup, but at the same time too, he wasn't there defensively. But over the course of the, of the season, he gets better. And now all of a sudden you begin to realize, hey, we got this guy for another year or so. And so all of those decisions were difficult ones, but you look at what Chris Monis did, and I think you can feel you're really positive, not just about this year, but the fact that this is a guy that understands how to make these decisions and then keep other guys engaged. And I guess in many respects, Landon Jordan is the only true casualty of all the whole thing. You know, because Braylon Skinner and Josh Hatcher both remained engaged and became defensive replacements, and there were times – we needed them to have big at-bats for us in the College World Series, and they did. That's good coaching, keeping guys engaged, even though they, they take on a more of a diminished role and keeping the team first. I think it's a remarkable thing for Chris Simonis, and I, I'm excited about it. You, you guys should be as well. So that's going to do it for today, and I hope you guys appreciate the fact that I stayed up to 1.30 in the morning to finish this thing for you. But you know what? I'll, I'll work on another chapter in the book tomorrow. And then we'll get up and go to a, a college football practice tomorrow. Again, excited to get back. I mean, really, as great as it's been to kind of celebrate a championship, and I'll celebrate that college baseball championship the rest of my life, I've really enjoyed being out at football practice. It's gotten me really excited. And I think once you guys kind of come down out of the clouds a little bit, you're going to feel the same way I do. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>